KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive, KRCL's show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Coming up on the show tonight, we've got just about all of them. We're going to hear from craftivist Shannon Badass Cross-Stitch Downey, headed to Utah at the invitation of the University of Utah Gender Studies professor Kim hackford Pierre. Radioactive gives you a preview. I spoke with Shannon as well as Kim and intern Anna Nielsen, who alerted us to Downey's upcoming visit. Finchlane Gallery presents two new art exhibitions, Gritting the West by Ron Lynn and So That We May Fear Not by Jesse Meredith. We're going to speak with Claire Taylor, the gallery's visual arts coordinator and the artist, to clue you in on this exhibit. But today is Transgender Day of Visibility, and joining me is the woman behind Queer Pioneer, the salon at Library Square, a transgender advocate for all, Princess Kennedy. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. I am so glad you're back. Of course, Queer Pioneer was one of the first projects that we did together. I know. We won an award for it. I know. We need to do some more. So <laughs> we we're gonna, do. We're going to get back to it now that we've got the live studio and the ability to bring you in and record in better quality. It's such a beautiful studio, I must say, too. I'm very impressed, and it's gorgeous. Well, all gratitude to our listeners, our supporters, our sustainers who make everything possible. And, you know, April is National Volunteer Month, so thank you all. It starts tomorrow. That's no April Fool's Thank joke. you for everything. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to spend some time with you about Transgender Day of Visibility and share a bit of your story, but also the great work you do in helping folks find their new look, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. So I um, am from Salt Lake City, and I, I grew up up here uh, close to downtown area, and I have been living my truth as a transgender person since the age of 12, which was 1982. Wow, age of 12. Yeah, and there was really no word for it back then. And of course I had to um, kind of pick and choose of how I express that outwardly. I mean, I was 12, so I was gorgeous. (laughs) And there are no flaws. So, you know, I mean, uh, I would have to pick and choose over the years of how that was outwardly expressed. Because back then in the 80s, I was arrested for it, too. I'd be arrested periodically for being, you know, in women's clothing, as they would say it. So Mm. and uh, yeah, so that it is what it is. And I feel like I um, have kind of helped blaze a trail for Salt Lake City, which is really awesome. Yeah. to a completely different conversation and a different world that it is right now, mm-hmm. which I think is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm so privileged to be able to have come far enough that I own a business, like you said, mm-hmm. in the public library. A very long. visible location. Was that part of wanting to be there is one of my questions as you talk about trying to help people. 100%. And the thing is, is with the Salt Lake Public Library, I'm able to um, do charity work and and help with you know different groups of of society and the city by simply they support me in that a lot you know what i mean and if i was to be in like a regular parentheses salon (laughs) you know what i mean some of the work that i do would be a little bit a little bit more difficult you know what i mean and i feel like i'm 
really privileged as a trans woman to be able to have this business and to pay stuff for it. Like he did a lot of work with like the homeless youth and whatnot. Yeah, Project Connect is something that for years before COVID, you uh-huh. would organize different, uh, a variety of stylists to join you and provide haircuts on that one day. 500 plus haircuts yeah. a day. Yeah. Plus the stuff I did with the uh, VOA, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the homeless youth shelter, yeah. which is a really great resource center. Taking us back again to you being 12 years old, 1982. That wasn't even around Volunteers of America. That wasn't around, and that's why working with teens is such a thing for me because if not for the fact of some of my circumstances, I would have been a homeless youth back then because I came from a very toxic environment like everybody did that was raised religiously here and didn't identify that way or just didn't identify, you know? So I was able to, I'm able to kind of help out with these kids. But what I'm really, really happy for is that we're having less of the um, homeless youth seeing a concentrated, it's still a lot, but we're having a less concentrated thing of seeing trans and LGBT youth. Well, with this legislative session, I'm sure you're aware of, um, and the governor upon the override of his veto and other politicians in support of trans youth put out a lot of messaging about, please use the Safe UT app. I mean, the immediate concern was for trans youth, their mental health and their existence. Exactly. And so what I'm doing at the salon is, and I urge all salons, and I'm going to take it one step further to like tattoo shops and other people that support trans youth and trans people. There is a hashtag on and a page on Instagram called the Dress Code Project. And they are um, doing a lot to make it visibly. And if you hashtag your salon or space with this, then it lets people know and it puts out a broader thing that it's a safe space for kids to feel welcome and people to feel welcome, which is what I'm doing. And so on the 20th of this month, on 420, I'm going to be doing a haircut for a cause, which is something I do at the library to raise money. And this one is going to be for the National, um, uh, National Transgendered, Center for Equality, National Transgender Center for Equality. Yes. Sorry. There's a lot of words in there. I had to remember. (laughs) And I'm going to be doing that because those are the people for the go to to help change things politically and conversations and rights for inequalities for trans people. And then more locally in um, June for Pride Month, I'm going to be raising funds for Encircle, which is a really amazing new resource center. It's on 6th East, just uh, south of 4th South. And I'm sorry, just north of Fort South, and they offer lots of resources for kids and young adults, uh, LGBTQ, um, for mental, for social, which I think is so important. You know, sometimes a support group can feel so heavy uh, that a social group is actually something that we need more. We need that social acceptance and that social visibility. So at your salon, I'm guessing you have the hashtag up, the Dress Code Project, Uh plus you are visible and vocal. What have, share some of the stories or the encounters you've had helping folks or folks who have found you and have been just so in need of someone like you to help Well, it's a rough, rough, hard experience for, especially a newly trans person, to go to a hair salon and try to convey what they want and feel comfortable about who they're talking to and if the person's going to make it right and you know, and somehow I became part of a Reddit conversation that kept occurring for people of where to go to get their hair done or to get their eyebrows waxed and whatnot and to have an easy, normalized experience. And I got this huge outpouring of people during the pandemic, which was awesome. And so for one, it's like uh, on the side of the spectrum of a four-year-old 
whose whose parents who are Hollywood types from Park City come up and uh, their four year old identifies as Rex when he comes. He is a dinosaur and I am to address him as that or giggles the clown the next time they are a clown. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. As far as to people who are, you know, a lot of teenagers, a lot of non-binary uh-huh. teenagers. So I just uh, was like an aha moment when all of a sudden I was like, I can do good for my own people, for my trans sisters and brothers and the ladies and the gentle limbs of Salt Lake City. And I'm here to help and support and to direct you in other ways when you need things such as like vocal coaching and and other appearance type things because I've started to collect a big network of people. You have a gigantic network, I'm guessing, Princess. I do have a gigantic network. I'm How lucky. can people get in touch with you? So um, the easiest way is at the Salon website, which is salonslc.com. Very easy. That's where the booking is. That's where information is. So for the benefit on the 20th, it is just going to be a walk-in thing. So you will just have to check the website to figure out how we do that, find out how we do that. And then I am the Princess, let's see, no, Princess Kennedy official on Instagram and Princess Kennedy on everything else. We'll be sure to put all these notes in the show notes, folks. You can catch up with Princess. But in closing, I just kind of wanted to go back to 1982 and I'm thinking... Um, you know, what my look was in the 80s, and it was very androgynous, and the grief I got for that, and that was just an aesthetic style. What kind of advice do you have for folks today who are thinking on Transgender Day of Visibility of taking that step outside and being themselves? What kind of advice on embracing who they want to be and how they want to present? That it's way, way more important for you mentally to be satisfied and comfortable with yourself beyond thinking of what other people think. And so try not to get up into your head about how you look or how you uh, come across to other people because the most important thing is that you're comfortable in your own head and you have that confidence and to just move forward and live that truth because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. You look fabulous. For folks that don't know, you've come back from a pretty big accident right at the start of COVID. Right at the start of COVID. But COVID was like COVID and (laughs) for so many people. Yeah, it was. And you can take a look. Right now, I'm live on Facebook. I've been for the whole thing. So you could go back to, or sorry, live on Instagram. So you could go back and take a look and watch this whole thing over again and see exactly how good I look. And the community has embraced, embraced you, not only for your work as a transgender advocate but your recovery so yeah it's amazing and i have nothing without any of you it's just like my hormones are gonna make me start crying so we have to stop talking about that <laughs> well, princess it's so good to have you back in the I'm studio so glad let's to start be here. some more queer pioneer history shall we please invite me back i would I, love it absolutely for for pride for all year round okay all right thank you bye everybody i'm laura jones and when we come back here on radioactive uh, we're going to get into some uh, craftivism As many as 2 million people have been displaced in Ukraine. The Utah Ukrainian Association has a list of ways you can help. Find them on Facebook under the handle Love Ukrainians or the Connect page of krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. KRCL's annual record and CD sale will be making its triumphant return in 2022. We're planning something special, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, we'll be taking donations of your gently used, tremendously loved, but slightly neglected records and CDs. If you can let go, we can make sure those treasures get their way to the next music lover in line. Donations are tax deductible and will help power your community radio station. 90.9 FM, KRCL. 
If you'd like to donate, reach out to me, Eric P. Nelson, at recordsale at krcl.org for details. See you soon. This is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. And still to come this hour, American crafter and activist Shannon Downey. Stick around for that conversation. But we are going to talk art right now as well with Claire Taylor and two artists who have their new exhibits on display at the Finch Lane Gallery. They address historical and contemporary Western colonialism. Recorded earlier this month, here's that conversation. We start with Claire Taylor, Visual Arts Coordinator at Finch Lane Gallery. How you doing, Claire? I'm well, Laura. Thanks for having me on. So the artist talk just happened, and we are just now bringing it onto Radioactive, but I'm hoping to go back a little further and have you talk about putting these two artists together in particular, Ron Lynn and Jesse Meredith. What brought that to you? Uh, or to your mind? The reason why I paired them is that I felt both artists were looking at issues of the West, um, that they were looking at issues of ownership of Western landscapes and Western space and Western ideologies. Um, I felt uh, like Ron was kind of looking at uh, settlement and colonialism of the West from a historical perspective. And Jesse was kind of looking at um, sort of the contemporary result of that culture. Let's see if we can connect some dots with our artists, Ron and Jesse. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Now, Ron, I understand you live down in Provo. Yes. And uh, born in Oregon, though, but you've been here a while and uh, you talk a lot about the heavenly grid in the statements for this exhibit. So I'm assuming you're familiar with LDS culture and the settling of Utah by LDS pioneers. Yeah, and uh, I actually have uh, pioneer heritage. So uh, it's it's part of uh, my own family history. Um, and then living and growing up in Oregon, you also get a lot of kind of the pioneer story, the Oregon Trail, and um, and and growing up, uh, I, I would start to conflate the two because they both, you know, have people crossing planes and wagons, and uh, and and so it's this uh, it's this story of like coming into a supposedly empty place uh, that I feel like um, is tempting to believe when you go out into spaces that are now empty. Uh, and kind of experience them as what, what we call wilderness spaces now. How did you discover this disconnect prior to this exhibit? Because as you said, you grew up with Mormon pioneers, Oregon pioneers, that kind of hero overcoming the West narrative, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I came to it because uh, I'm a lover of wild spaces. I, I like to go out into those places. I like uh, the feeling of looking into a, an empty space. Um, but uh, it's it's complicated because uh, they're empty for a reason. And, uh, and, and I think I just began to kind of think um, of, you know, how, how do I experience these landscapes in the way that, um, that, that brings me joy, which is kind of an aesthetic experience of the landscapes, but also being able to hold space for kind of uh, these violent histories or, or even contemporary histories of, of how we segment up uh, landscape into wilderness or non-wilderness spaces uh, as a way of kind of separating it from ourselves and our own histories. 
So your exhibit going on at Finch Lane is entitled Gritting the West, and that's my reference to Heavenly Grid or the Heavenly Order, Brigham mm-hmm. Young and the Mormons. This is the place come into the Salt Lake Valley, and they lay out this orderly grid that to people who have been in Utah for a while, it makes total sense. The first South is 100 South. Second, this, this kind of order of um, white Europeans putting onto the Western landscape, and you interrogate that in your, in your exhibit. Yeah, uh, I, I started using the grid kind of as this uh, uh, as this symbol um, because it will, works on multiple levels. There's um, the level at which um, it's used as an organizational structure for uh, communities as they were built up here, um, but it also works in how we we map things and try to segment them out to understand them kind of in smaller chunks. Um, and it works on an artistic level where we have kind of this modernist grid that starts coming in and. Uh, the same thing it's it starts kind of trying to create this order um and uh and i'm trying to grapple with uh with the way that uh it fails to do so um it it doesn't actually contain or or control or uh maybe help us uh understand something that's so much more immense than we are Thanks, Ron. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to the exhibit so folks can check it out and plan their trip. But also on exhibit at the Finchling Gallery with you is Jesse Meredith's So That We May Fear Not. And Jesse, you're a recent resident, just six months in the Beehive State. How are you? That's right. Yeah, I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, I, I see some parallels um, and some tangents from where Ron is to where you're taking things with your exhibit. Um, as written by the by the Arts Council, it says that your exhibit investigates nuances and contradictions of self-styled patriot ideologies grounded in the whitewashed narrative of American history and textbooks. So tell me where you were going to take this when you started it and where you ended up. Yeah, um, well, uh, this whole project started about, well, six years ago now during the 2016 election. Um, and I had recently started grad school in Chicago, and I realized I was starting to get the internet kind of changed for me during that time. And I, I started getting more targeted ads um, for for the Trump campaign and for these kind of like more uh, right leaning causes. And that's not really how I identify politically, but I was curious about um, if this was happening to me um, and my internet uh, presence who else it might be happening for and and how that kind of slippery slope of recruitment works. Uh, so I decided to explore more since the, it seemed it seemed like the door was being opened to me. So I decided to kind of walk through that door um, and see what happened. So I found a uh, militia group in Illinois um, on Facebook and started messaging with them and asked them if I could come out and photograph. And I was clear with them that I was a photography student um, in grad school. And and I just wanted to kind of learn more about what it was they were doing. And they just very quickly kind of accepted me uh, without much um, ideological testing or anything. They were just like, you seem seem cool, come on out with us. Um, And I spent the next four years going out almost every other Sunday with them um and photographing them and over that time i kind of slowly became a member of this militia without really um without really 
necessarily meaning to, but but I realized at a certain point, like I've been thinking of myself as separate from from these people, but I have become part of this group. Like my attendance record is better than a lot of the other members um, because I was in in school and I I had Sundays free and and things like that. So um, in the end, it took me a really long time to figure out what to do with all of this material because as the as the project was developing, so too was the the kind of socio-cultural landscape and and COVID happened and George Floyd was murdered and everything kind of cascading from that. Uh, it felt very hard to keep up with and and try to make work in the moment about all of these relationships. Um, so coming to Utah and having the time to digest everything more fully, uh, I arrived at the work that's in the show, which is, I think, a lot more simplified than uh, than I was able to be, or uh, maybe simplified is the wrong word, but uh, a little bit more kind of clear and distilled than than maybe um, than I had been feeling about it for a long time. So. How did you explain your departure from the militia? I'm kind of curious. Oh, well, I was leaving, I was leaving Chicago. Um, and they were kind of sad to see me go because I, yeah, I showed up a lot. I participated um and actually had built some real relationships um with these men. So um I yeah, I I left for New York for a few months and came back and and went out with them one one time when I was back and 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 I left again. And so there was a kind of, it was a slow process of my kind of mobile artist's lifestyle taking me away. And then, and then over time, uh, we did go, we did go out to the shooting range for, for like a goodbye, uh, goodbye shooting session with the, with the few main guys who, who I was closest with. Um, and that was kind of my send off. So for folks coming to Finch Lane and, and seeing your exhibit so that we may fear not, what is it that you're hoping that they draw from it? The the idea or the kind of the hope, my hope for this work is that it opens up a space, a kind of softer space to think about um, our all of our own ideological uh, kind of roots and and interrogate them a little more closely. So why do I believe this? Why do I think this? Why? Why and how did I arrive at this place of, you know, thinking this line of thought is wrong and this line of thought is is right? Yeah, I think the the, the idea of softness was really a kind of guiding um, principle for me, uh, even and, and for a long time, I kind of struggled with the intensity of the imagery, the intensity, the loadedness of, of these, um, you know, camo clad figures and what it represents for different people. They could seem military they could seem like uh january 6 occupant occupy uh, occupiers um they and anywhere in between and and i i recognize that everybody has their own kind of relationship uh and personal um personal experiences with these things so i i the point is for people to feel comfortable enough to look more closely than they might otherwise feel comfortable doing at at those relationships um and at their own their own role in them 
Well, we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so folks can check out your exhibit so that we may fear not and Ron's greeting the West at Finch Lane, Salt Lake City Arts Council. Claire Taylor, just to wrap with you, how long is this running? How can folks come up and see it? So this exhibit will be up through April 22nd, and we are open Tuesdays, 9.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m., Wednesdays and Thursdays, 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., and we'll also be open for April Gallery Stroll on April 15th, 6 to 9 p.m. Claire Taylor of the Salt Lake City Arts Council and artists Jesse Meredith and Ron Lynn. Their new exhibits are now on display at Finch Lane Gallery in Salt Lake. Check tonight's show notes for a link and plan your visit to check it all out. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. When we come back, we'll get right into our conversation with American crafter and activist Shannon Downey, right here on KRCL's Radioactive. KRCL Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd. That's right, Earth Day. If you're planning to donate already, why not do it right now at krcl.org. In honor of Earth Day, why not plant a tree for a one-time donation of $100? Let's kick off Radiothon right and head into Earth Day with half a forest ready to plant. Donate now at krcl.org. Thanks. Flower said I wish I would. Guadalupe School in Rose Park needs volunteers to teach English to adult immigrants in our community. No teaching experience or a second language is required, just the desire to make a difference. More information at guadschool.org. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with us. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike Walton, The Dirty Boulevard from Gianni, followed by I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich Parks, Jolene's Illustrated Blues at 3 a.m., and John Florence bringing you a brand new day at 6. Our entire programming lineup available online at krcl.org. In fact, click on the Programs tab, and you can listen on demand to the last two weeks of any show, including this one, thanks to the generosity of listeners just like you. You can also donate while you're there at krcl.org. Just click the big orange button in the right-hand corner. We're now going to talk about craftivism. How did it start? Well, I got an email from a young woman who sent me just a a cold email, and it really caught my attention because it mentioned crafts and activism, otherwise known as craftivism. Can't even say it right, but I love it. And uh, we're going to talk with them first. Anna Nielsen, gender studies students at the U, doing an internship working with Kim Hackford, peer associate director at the U and the gender studies program up there. Anna and Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So, Anna, thanks for reaching out. Do you do some craftivism yourself? If you do, what's the medium of choice for you? I do. I do a lot of digital art and photography. And I advertise that through my Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's Anna.avos, like the first syllable of avocados. Got it. All right. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes so folks can follow. And Kim, uh, this idea of craftivism, how's that played into what you do with gender studies? Um, I am not a big craftivist myself, but I have lots of students who are, right? And so part of what I try to do as a teacher is find lots of different ways to provide for students to think about getting their ideas out into the world. And so, so many of my students do that through various forms of crafting. 
I have a lot of students who are super into zines and things like that. And so, um, yeah, it's just part of my part of my pedagogy to make space for that. And then for us to really hold it up as not just valid, but an essential part of engaging with our communities and the world around us. And also of like um, validating our own desires and and needs for like sharing our thoughts, but also using our hands and using our bodies and, you know, thinking and working in multiple ways. And so then how did Shannon Downey come up and let's bring her to town and that's happening in April. We'll talk about all of that and things folks can do and what you'll be doing with the, with the students and such, but how did that conversation come up, Kim and Anna? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, I have known Shannon since whew, like 2000. Um, <laughs> Shannon, actually, we, we met in Massachusetts. We, uh, Shannon was an undergraduate student at the University of Massachusetts and I was a grad student. And Shannon and some of uh, her friends actually threw a baby shower for our oldest son back in uh, late 2001. So we have a long history, shared history together and have stayed in touch. And yeah, so we've been following her work and maintaining a friendship. And then we learned that she was doing this travel around the United States and share her work and her thinking and pull people into the project. And it seemed like the kind of things that, that gender studies needed to engage with. So that's kind of where, so I reached out and I mean, there was this Facebook post <laughs> that I think Shannon, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about, but it was basically like, so here's this thing that I'm doing and I saw it and my partner and I wrote, so when it, when's the Utah stop? So this is actually the second time that Shannon will be in Salt Lake City on this big experience that she's having. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it started. And then what, one of the things that I love so much about working with Shannon is uh, how open she is to anything. And really when, when she was here the first time, um, it was, we were in the, we were, it was last spring. So we were pretty seriously entrenched in sort of pandemic protocols and not doing a whole lot of in-person stuff. And um, we went for a walk, we took our dogs for a walk one day and she said, well, tell me about your classes. So I was talking about one of my classes. And then I said, you should totally come. And then it's just grown from there because my students fell in love with her and her work and wanted more. And so when it became possible to bring her, to host her again, not bring her back, she's bringing herself, but to host her again, I've been telling students from the past couple semesters who have experienced her work and oh my gosh, there is a buzz. They are all like, so when are we coming to your house to hang out with Shannon? Anna, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I was one of those students in Kim's class who Shannon popped in on a Zoom and talked with us. And I was like, this is awesome. And it coincided with an assignment I was doing for another class called Feminism in Art History. And we had to propose a piece for the museum on campus to acquire. And it was just a hypothetical. And it's like, oh, what would you tell the UMFA to do with their collections if you could? And I was like, what if we had like a custom piece by Shannon Downey? And <laughs> like, what if we did like a bunch of textile art? And I did kind of that hypothetical for my project. And then Kim was like, you know, we can like 
actually do that, right? And I was like, what? So <laughs> we talked to a bunch of different local museums and we were like, well, let's let's do things. Let's do art and let's do events and let's make it happen. Awesome. And now we have she herself with us, Shannon Downey. Thank you so much for joining our Zoom conversation. Excited to have you come to Utah here in April. And folks, I don't know, maybe this image caught your eye back in, well, what was it? Was it 2016-ish? One of her posts that went viral, uh, a big embroidery piece that she did for a march saying, I'm so angry I stitched this just so I could stab something 3,000 times. I don't know why the algorithm pulled it to me, but maybe you can imagine. Shannon, thank you so much for giving us some time. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You know, one of the things that when I think back to 2016 and the marches after Donald Trump was elected, I think of craftivism because of all the pink hats mm. that people were making as a symbol um, and how that then was taken left, right, up, down, over, under. And craftivism just seems to be uh, growing and growing and growing. How would you define craftivism for the uninitiated, Shannon? Um, the short definition is the conversion of craft and activism. So using craft as a tool within one activism practice. Um, my lengthy definition is an independent or collective art practice meant to build power and agency in direct support of actions aimed at creating social or political change. And would you say you've always mixed all that together in this uh, craftivism mm -hmm. soup? I was an activist first, you know, I've sort of, I grew up in the labor, labor movement. So I've just sort of always been involved in social justice movements. Um, and then like 10 years ago, I started embroidering, um, like for personal reasons, like as a way to build some digital analog balance in my life. Um, and then quickly found the confluence of the two and realized like, oh, wait a minute. I think I can use this to trick people into becoming activists. <laughs> trick them. I've always loved the profane cross-stitching that pops up every now and then. And then to find how far back it goes, one of the things that I've noticed on your, your feed, um, this you don't like this notion of it's not your grandmother's craft. Oh. Because women have been thrown down for ages. That's the thing is like, um, when we frame modern um, embroidery in particular as something that's like not your grandma's, um, we are doing a disservice to our modern makers, but we're also insulting our ancestry and all of these amazing women and makers throughout time who um, didn't necessarily have the space to be as overt as we get to be right now. Um, but we're throwing down, right? Like since the beginning of time, like this has been a tool of subversion, um, but also just like great artistry and like amazing skill. And so I, I reject all framing as something that I'm doing is somehow not connected to my entire past and, and the entire history of this, um, of these mediums, basically. I remember reading something. There's a feed I follow on Twitter, Women Art, and I think it was there that I saw it recently. And it was how um, women would use knitting and crocheting to send messages mm -hmm. uh, as spies during yeah. many wars. I think this was World War II in particular. Phyllis so Latour Doyle is like one of my heroes. <laughs> She's a hundred years old and, you know, was in 
Nazi occupied Germany gathering intel and spying and, you know, using messages and, and hiding it in her knitting. So do you have another favorite vintage piece or, or craftivism history that you love to share with people? Oh, so many, um, mainly because like craftivism is a new word, but this is something that's been going on since the beginning of time, right? Like art and craft has been at the forefront of movement since the dawn of time. And so I really try to expand people's um, context around how they think about craftivism, like not limit it to sort of like fiber artists today as like the the framework of craftivism. Um, some of my favorites, like, so you talked about the pussy hat earlier. Um, and like, that's not a new idea, the idea of a hat as a form of identification or allegiance. So we can go back to Roman times and look at the liberty cap of Roman times. So when enslaved folks were liberated in Rome, they were given this cap and it became this symbol that they were no longer enslaved, that they were free and that they had the right to vote. And that's what the French revolutionaries took from in order to create the um, liberty cap that let that became the identifier of the French Revolution. Um, same for the American Revolution, right? So there is this like, you know, nothing's new, right? <laughs> we just recycle all of the brilliant ideas that we have um, sort of always looked to uh, in order to find voice. Is there politics in craftivism among its practitioners? Because I think of craftivism and like the craft gyms I saw forming in San Francisco 20 years ago, things like that. Um, but then I think of the typical quilters as maybe being more conservative. I know they're not a monolith, but I just wanted to get into this because you describe yourself as, as queer, anti-racist, feminist, anti-capitalist, highly political, and committed to growth, learning, honesty, and doing whatever you can to make this an equitable world. So as you're on your tour uh, of the country in your RV and you get into whatever town, how do you bridge any political divides or does it fall away when you guys start working on stuff? Oh no, it definitely does not fall away. <laughs> Let's be clear. At what point do politics ever fall away in this country? Um, but my entire objective is to bring together people who have differences of thought, opinion. I mean, we all have differences of thought and opinion across everything, right? So the idea is, can we create a safe space um, in order to get uncomfortable talking about these things, right? So my goal is never to center comfort, um, but it is to center safety and, um, and, and like listening, right? Like, yeah. like, can we have these conversations in spaces where we feel at least like comfortable in that we're all working in these mediums that we love. So we know that we have something in common. Um, and then, you know, like use that as a catalyst for sort of like building our conversations um, and maybe finding common ground, maybe not, who cares? Yeah, I'm reminded of my mom, you know, doing a quilting bee to put some quilts together in our in our neighborhood when I was a kid. And, and then I think of that tradition for her, my grandmother, her mother and back. And it was a coming together to make something as someone was making a home, a new baby was coming in, maybe someone was ill, maybe it was a, a fundraiser. It's definitely at the heart of community craftivism. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's my whole, my whole reason for existing is just like, can I use these tools that um, 
have roots in community building and then take it to a space where it's not just about us getting together and making it's us getting together making and you know making plans and taking action and you know making change well, let's talk about your do-over. You started right, you sold everything right before COVID. Timing. I have timing. amazing timing. <laughs> so tell folks what you did, because you, you this was, again, you can only look back and say timing, yeah. but you decided, why did you decide to get rid of everything, put it all in RV and hit the road? Um, You know, this is going to sound absolutely bonkers. I took this like power and money class with this um, dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. Like, did you know that this story would start this way? No, you did not. Um, I will say I did not enjoy the class. And I was like, whoa, this is super hetero. I'm out. But <laughs> there was one activity that I was like, oh, this is so valuable. And it was just one of these, like, I mean, the short summary of it is like, if you could do anything, what would you do? Right. But I hadn't revisited that question in a long time because I felt like I was doing what I wanted to do. Um, but some things changed in my life and I was like, well, let me revisit this exercise, this conversation. And, um, it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know, I feel like I'm at the tipping point with this work and that if I'm serious about it, I have to go full force into it and fully commit. Um, and the, the job, I was a director of development for a nonprofit and, you know, I had told them they only had me for three years. So it was like coming up on three years and I was like, oh, and I told them that I was going to quit. So I have to quit. And, you know, and so this sort of, it all just sort of happened. And I thought, this is what I need to do. And that was eight months before um, the pandemic. So I quit my job. I gave up my apartment. I sold everything I owned. I bought an RV and then like, ha 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 pandemic. <laughs> Well, and with the pandemic, places to park that RV disappeared, right? Gone, gone. I mean, I was so screwed. I was like, I don't even have anywhere where I can put this thing that I live in. Um, all the RV parks closed um, for a good chunk of time. So I, I do what I always do. I went to Instagram and I was like, hello, friends on the internet. <laughs> like, Does anybody have a flat driveway and a plug that they might want me to park in for a minute um, while I travel through? And then like 3000 people signed up and let me, I've literally been like driveway hopping for the last two years and meeting the coolest people in the country, frankly. You're an independent entrepreneur, but you issue an annual report. I'm used to seeing those from nonprofits, but it's not a nonprofit. You're badass, cross-stitch, annual report 2021. You break it down, all the statistics and highlights from your work. You did 60, 60 embroidery workshops, two solo shows, 42 talks and lectures. You hit 29 states. You did 841 good humans. And I'm going to stop right there because it just goes on and on and on. You were the busiest person during the pandemic, as far as I can tell, figuring out ways that you could still do what you do with other humans. So talk to me a bit about your good humans project. Oh, I love this one. Um, <clears throat> that was just a result of like me listening to my community and hearing a lot of the same things, like particularly um, at the onset of the pandemic, when we started to see an uptick in xenophobic and anti-Asian violence, um, I heard a lot of people talk about like, oh my God, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, what do we do about this? How do we handle this? And it was sort of one of those moments where I realized that I have so much privilege. Like I have 
grown up in these activist movements. So I have so much knowledge about like how to do things around like how to make change. And so many of the people that I was, you know, in community with and working with, like just ha haven't been taught how to do 90% of this. And I was like, oh, well, that's an easy fix. So I partnered with Asian Americans Advancing Justice Chicago, who um, they were actually my former employer, um, but they were also doing all of these um, bystander intervention trainings. And I thought, well, let's bring my community into this. Um, so we, we hosted four um, free bystander intervention trainings, like an hour and a half of just like, what do you do to keep yourself safe, but also intervene if you witness violence in public? Um, and we trained, I think, over 500 people across those four workshops and really like transformative, like that workshop in particular, like super transformative. And so I thought, well, let me do more. Like, what do other people need to know? Like, what else do people need to know? Um, and I'm like, well, we learn how to do CPR, but nobody learns how to administer Narcan. Like we have a amazing overdose, you know, epidemic in this country. Like we have a, this magical solution that everybody should be carrying with them. Um, and so I, I partnered up with harm reduction out of New York and we did a bunch of, um, you know, how to prevent a drug overdose trainings, um, how to talk to young people about drugs through a harm reduction lens on and on and then i just kept going from there i was like this is great we're just gonna do like <laughs> who else wants to teach something so um we've got activism 101 for introverts and highly sensitive people we've got um you want to go to therapy but you don't know where to start and it, it just it's been growing and growing and literally anytime somebody's like hey i want to learn this like recently somebody said like we need some disaster preparedness training and i was like yeah we do let me go look that up and find somebody who does it. <laughs> so and you you meld it with maybe a stitch up or something like that, right? So there's active activists and activism, activities and activism. It must involve embroidery for me to feel satisfied with it. So everybody gets a badge when they complete their training, like the Girl Scouts. Um, so I've designed these little <laughs> embroidery badges. So when you're done, you stitch yourself a badge and, um, you know, I'm waiting for the sashes to appear. Nobody's actually done a sash yet, but don't worry. I'm going to be the first. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of a sash. You know, one of the things I'm reminded of is when folks quote unquote, step out of their lane and then politicians or the commentary, it says, you know, basically shut up and dribble, shut up and dance, shut up and whatever. And you seem to be, I don't want to say combating that, but taking your skill set and building community around what the community needs. And I feel like it's a response in a way to that sort of mentality that you can only be, you can only speak out if you're the expert on whatever it is. Yeah. How boring is that? Um, yeah. I don't shut up about anything. Um, <laughs> You're my kind of people. I, I just feel like um, we are so trained to keep our mouths shut. And that is how the status quo remains status quo. And so if I can model how you can um, do what you love, say what you want, and use that as a mechanism for like building community and supporting people in their journeys as activists, as people who speak up, then like that is my responsibility to do. You say that 2022 is the year of stitch for you. What does that mean? And is that part of your, your travels to Utah? 
Um, oh, it's gonna be. They don't know about it yet. Um, so, <laughs> so the year of Stitch. So in 2015, I did what I called the year of Stitch, which was a personal like. I was just a cross stitcher that is not meant to diminish cross stitch it just meant that was the only stitch that I used. And I wanted to branch out, and so I taught myself a new embroidery stitch every week for a year, and then I started to share tutorials like written tutorials images photos. And then like 10,000 people were doing it with me through halfway through the year and I was like oh this is so dope um, and then as a way to force myself to um embrace video which i absolutely despise um but like TikTok, so fine um i decided i'm gonna remount the year of stitch but this time it'll be video work um and video tutorials and so i set up a patreon um which was really <laughs> just a suggestion from local law enforcement um, that I that I set up a little bit of a closed community because of all the, the death threats that I get. Okay, um, you have to talk about those, but finish <laughs> the story first. So so the Patreon is um, is where all of this is happening. So I've got like 900 people who are um, learning a new embroidery stitch every week this year. It's turning into this beautiful community. They get a sampler every six weeks, so now they're like applying these stitches to a design um, and we're having a lot of fun and so it's a way to um, develop people's making practice and their craft skills. Um, but it doesn't ever end there right because then it's like great here's this bystander intervention workshop you're going to come to and you know so it's it's another way to bring people in and get them interested in. Um, furthering themselves both uh, through their making, but also as activists. In fact, you gave it a name. You called it the Make Don't Break Challenge. Make Don't Break was um, a little project that I did last January. And that was about, um, I was really worried for people. Like the end of 2020, I kept hearing everybody say like, oh, thank God, 2021's coming, like it's New Year's, like this is gonna be great. And I was like, oh guys, do you think, what? No, like this is not just gonna get better because it's January 1st. And I was really actually quite concerned about people's mental health. Um, so I, th I thought, what can I do real quick? I need an art intervention. Um, and so Make Don't Break was a way of um, inviting people to channel their New Year's energy into um, developing a daily making practice and so they were committing to just like make for any amount of time in any medium like there were no rules which some people hated um for every day in january right so and then we were like building this community around it um i partnered with 31 of my favorite activists and then so each morning um i would send out an email introducing um, my community to this activist to the work that they were doing and then the activists would provide a prompt for making that day if folks wanted like some direction um, and it turned into like I don't know just sort of a life-saving event and the joke was that in my email the original email I said you know what if on January 9th everything's worse than it was before how sad will that be and then everybody was like, well, you were three days off. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did I do this? Is this my fault? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Well, 
I do want to go back to what you said about death threats and the advice you're getting from law enforcement, because, you know, an outspoken person, an outspoken woman, especially on social media, can draw a lot of heat. So how is your safety profile these days, Shannon? Um, I think it's improving. Uh, not having Trump in office definitely shifted, um, like, how many threats I, I got, which is what were people upset with you about? I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to amplify that. But what was the outrage over your craftivism? You know, just things they didn't agree with, things I didn't agree with. I mean, it was just it was a lot around um, misogyny and the president and um, you know immigration. Uh, so basically anything that was contentious ever. <laughs> Um, people were really emboldened um, to to threaten your life. Um, so there was a lot of that. And there were a couple that felt pretty serious. Um, and those got escalated to um, different agencies in our um, <laughs> country. Uh, and so that's what where the idea of the Patreon came from was just like, can I build a, a space that's a little safer, but um, where money isn't necessarily a barrier you know like i i set it at a dollar a month um because i don't want money to be a barrier but i did um you know being out alone in an rv traveling the country getting death threats felt like maybe i should do something to just put a buffer in there you know yeah. well shannon we're excited well i'm speaking on behalf of utah broadly because i feel i have the right <laughs> We're excited that you're coming to Utah for most of April. What you got planned? And uh, Kim and Anna, jump back in here too if you want. But what are you looking forward to doing here in Utah, which is known for crafting? Yeah, I love Utah. I didn't even know. I'd not been to Utah before last year. And um, I was like, why haven't I been here? This is great. I had so much fun and it, I, I couldn't do anything. And I still had so much fun because of the pandemic. Although I did get my first shot in, in Salt Lake city. So special place in my heart. Um, but we, we've got all sorts of things planned. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff at the U. I'm gonna let them talk about that. Um, I'm working with, um, under the umbrella bookstore, which is a queer bookstore. We're going to do some stuff. Um, you mocha, I'm going to hang out there and do a workshop. Um, but I'm most excited for the you because they've been so amazing and I can't wait to hang out with all of them and I'll let them tell you what we're doing. Kim, Anna. Um, well, I'll start and then I'll let Anna close out with the thing. That's probably the most exciting. Um, of course, part of, part of my interest is connecting Shannon to students in uh, in an intellectual space, right? So Shannon's going to spend some time in some classrooms talking with students and helping helping them stretch their thinking beyond sort of where, where they're comfortably situated right now. And hopefully we'll get some craft supplies into their hands so that they can be making while they're thinking together. And that's exciting to me. Um, and then we have some some little things here and there, just our goal is to make sure that uh, students who aren't in those very particular classes still have the opportunity to engage with Shannon and to get their hands and their minds busy with her. Um, but Anna's been working on a really cool project that I'll let her talk with you about. Anna. 
So I am putting together a queer art show for students on campus that will also feature some work by Shannon. And so far I've been using Instagram to advertise and like asking people in my classes and friends and such like, hey, do you have work? Um, any medium, I've got like ceramics and sculpture, paper mache, charcoal, photography, painting, um, a lot of different, and then embroidery, of course, <laughs> a lot of different pieces of art that we're going to be displaying here on campus um, as part of Shannon's trip here. And we're going to do kind of a cooperation between stitching workshops and the art show where it's like, hey, you came to our stitching workshop, we're teaching you how to like make art while you're here on campus during like your break for lunch here in the gender studies lounge or in the LGBT resource center. Um, how about you stop on by and see our art show, which we're still tentatively saying we're gonna display it in the library. We've got some cool display cases here at the Marriott Library on campus, but waiting for the final go ahead on setting it up. Well, wonderful. Where can folks get a, a rundown of everything, Kim? Are you going to post some details online? Yeah, we will. <laughs> That's coming, folks. Okay. <laughs> it, will, it will all be on my website at the very least. So you can go to badasscrossstitch.com. My events calendar, all of it will be listed there for you. We don't own our, we don't build our own website in gender studies, which was my, <laughs> we have lots of great people who help us do that. Um, but it's going to be much easier to find on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be sure to put that link in tonight's show notes. Shannon, just any closing thoughts for folks listening to this conversation thinking, you know, I was all thumbs as a kid or like me reactionary to the culture I was brought up in that I would sew, I would stitch, I would craft. And now later in life, I'm kind of got the itch Shannon to do it. Yeah. It's so fun. And you can learn in like 10, this is not hard, right? Like you can learn in 10 minutes. I'll teach you. So come hang out, learn something new, be a beginner at something, take a little adventure and then see what happens. Plus you can stab things 3000 times, work out some issues. You know, Stabbing fabric is a lot better than stabbing people. So I'm a big advocate for embroidery. <laughs> Closing thoughts from Shannon Downey. Thank you all so much. It's been a genuine pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. American crafter and activist Shannon Downey, University of Utah professor Kim hackford Peer, and Anna Nielsen, a gender studies student at the university who got the ball rolling for our conversation there. Check tonight's show notes for links to badasscrossstitch.com, as well as all of the great activities planned for Shannon's residency here in April. I'm Laura Jones, and that's our show tonight. Tune in tomorrow at six for another Punk Rock Farmer edition of Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions, please email radioactive at krcl.org. And be sure to include a song that might inspire a show. Tell me why you love it. Introduce it like a DJ. And you might just end up on the show. Thanks for listening, and have a great night. <laughs>